Hi folks and welcome to the 900th episode of the Echo Chamber podcast. That's a bit mad to say out loud. Uh, listen, this was recorded in front of a live audience of our online members. Uh, we had a brilliant panel. Uh, some of our best friends, uh, our regular contributors, Harry, Mac, Evan, Sonia, Shmi, Malik, Mian joined us. We also had first-timers Graham Merrigan and Siobhan McElduff. And our friend Aoife Grace Moore rejoined us to talk about the Sinn Féin Ardèche in Ireland's uh, future events that she attended over the weekend. There's a lot in there. Please, I'm asking you to consider joining us on patreon.com forward slash tortoise We need the support. There's no two ways about it. We, we put these podcasts out, 900 of them now at this stage. And while we give them away for free, we'd love to think that you think there's a value to them. There are thousands of you listening. In fact, we're we're over we're over a few million in listens for, uh, on the on the echo chamber. So we know that a lot of people listen and care. We just need you to try and pay it forward if you can. Patreon.com forward slash tortoise We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for telling people about us. It's mad to think we've 900 in the can and hopefully we have hundreds more to come. Enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack podcast. This is our Sunday live show. Tony's going to tell you in a few minutes how many shows we've done, which is really absolutely amazing. But first, I'd like to introduce the guests. Graham Merrigan. Uh, Graham is the host of WTS Pod. And Graham is also a co-founder of the, the Ballybrack Bulls. He's also a Shamrock Rovers member, but we won't hold that against him. Siobhan McElduff also joins us. Siobhan is uh, an academic on sabbatical. Um, I could I also fair to say she's recently returned to Ireland and she can tell us a few bits and pieces what it's like about being in Ireland after returning. We have Shamim Malekim, Malekamiam and Shamim is a journalist with the Dublin Enquirer and Shamim is one of the best journalists in Ireland. We all agree on that. And then we have our old faithful, Harry McEvan Sonia. And Harry is the numbers guy. We love Harry with the polls. And uh, I'm going to enjoy this chat with Harry, some interesting polls out. But before all of that, we're going to come to Mr. Tony Groves. And Tony's going to tell you how many podcasts we have done. I'm really surprised. He told me yesterday. He didn't know. That was, no, see, right. This is our 900th episode of the Echo Chamber, which was just coincidental. We didn't, uh, we don't kind of plan these things. Obviously, you're just going along. And I said, Christ, I was putting either code each one as I'm I'm doing the recording. So I worked out that I've missed a few, Martin, where you had to sit in. So I've done nearly, of just Echo, I've done nearly 870. And you have done all, Almost two, three hundred of them. You've been there for a lot of them, but you haven't contributed too many. So <laughs> we have to. We have no. It's important that we say that, and it's it's well established with, with listeners. But no, it's great. Th- um, thanks. I can't believe we did it. We've done nine hundred of these things, and yeah. And we. I was going to say, and we haven't fallen out, but that's not true. We, we fall we, out all, all the time. The time. <laughs> um, I just want to go very quickly. A couple of things, obviously, from the week. Uh, uh, Councillor Crow, in uh, in in uh, and your comments on on the travelling community, uh, I, that that may fall off the headlines, but I hope I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't go away. Um, there seems to be a keen thing that he's come out and apologised now. 
it's not for us to accept that apology. It's for the traveling community, but the, this is really not. Uh, it shows yet again the acceptable face of racism in Ireland, particularly when it comes to members of the traveler community. Um, the other thing that was actually good news, I don't know if anybody picked up on it, was Cuba uh, voting for same-sex marriage, which I was good. I saw it. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was great. There's <laughs> some good news there. Um, I, I, I keep going back to Martin. I know you keep telling me not to bring it up, but this chess cheating story just keeps coming back up and you never thought you'd hear the words Chet cheating at chess and anal beads in the same story i'm not going to get into it in too much more detail but it's terrifying and um obviously on the on the good news as well it, it seems the exit polls and maybe harry you've been keeping uh, maybe on, on brazil coming out it seems like we're gonna see that the um bolsonaro has will have time to spend with his covid uh, infections <laughs> over the next with multiple COVID infections as he likes to get them. So l- look, lo- lots to, lots on that, but we'll we'll play on. Shamim, can we come to you first? Let's go. Let's go and say how great the citizens' advice uh, in- information is, and and uh, the story that you did. And I'm going to say, well, look, you know what? I won't spoil it. You, you tell you say how how it finished up at the end. Yeah. Um, so so I noticed when I was doing another story that I talked about here about how. Um, refugees who come here on humanitarian um, programs, they're not allowed to um, to, to, to visa-free travel, essentially. But I noticed that Citizen Information said that they are. And when we did the article, they, they changed it to it they aren't. So what happened is I was like, OK, let's see what else they got wrong. And I noticed that they were saying, um, I think I, I need to give context about that because... Uh, to your listeners, basically, if you're an immigrant who come here as a student to study your years, no matter how many years you spend here, they don't count for citizenship. But um, after graduation, there is um, an immigration stamp called a stamp 1G for graduates. And if you get on that um you can work without a need for an employment permit. And uh, basically, they give you a chance to look for jobs um, to and so another an employer might get you a work permit once this one expires. Um, so citizen information said that this graduate visa stamp wasn't reckonable for citizenship, but it is. So you know yourself that this is a huge thing for a lot of people. That means some people were in on this stamp, people with master's degrees, with PhDs, uh, for two years. That meant that they thought two years was nothing, you know, and it was just. So, and everybody believed this. I was on a group chat, immigrant group chat. I was asking about this and people were like, no, 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 you're completely wrong. It did citizen information says this. Um, some lawyers were confused. They thought that it doesn't count. We're giving wrong advice to people, misinforming people about their rights. Uh, and when we ran this story with justice saying it does count, citizen information still was you know, they, they still didn't sort of believe me. They went to the justice and then justice said yes. And they still, they were like, oh, we immediately changed this. Um, so it, w- it was incredible how much everyone was convinced that I was the one who's being wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. And and I just, I remember, because it was actually played out in real time on social media as well. There was people saying, no, and you're, people show, sending you screenshots saying, no, no, this is what it says. And and, uh, and then I think it was about eight hours later, I was like, oh, no, by the way, Shamim was correct um, and we need to change this. Now, again, it just shows, though, that the, the difficulties there where people who who are trying to 
you know, uh, go jump through all the hoops to attain citizenship and then you can't even get the correct information off the bloody people who are supposed to help you in this. Martin, you had a conversation with me during the week about some of this stuff. You've had problems with them on, on other aspects of, of how... I have. I've had, but I don't use citizen's advice anymore. I found that usually with citizen's advice that they're ringing somebody in a department to ask the department uh, what's their view on such and such. And I, I might as well ring the department myself. What's the point in going to citizens' advice? Siobhan, you had a question there. Yeah, so did they ever explain where they got the idea in the first place from? Was it just somebody they somebody they phoned and the person was like, yeah, fuck off, like, excuse me, like, you know, just like, this is the way it is, and then they just kept going with it? Or, like, did they ever check it or anything else like that? Uh, well, they were telling me that we we directly get advice from the department. Department told me we're not responsible for what's on citizen information. But what's happening? It's and it's very important for me to say this that if you look at the Justice Department website, conditions of NG, it's quite vague. And you come out of it thinking, oh, I don't understand. Is it reckonable or isn't it? But it says there's a line in there that's very misleading that says you can work without an employment permit. But then it says all of your other conditions are the same as a stamp too, which is a student stamp. But then moves on to the section of the 1G stamp that I have to say um, the so 1G stamp is also granted to um, partners of a skilled workers. They can work on it. Um, but in the section of 1G stamp that's for, for partners of skilled workers, it says it counts towards citizenship, but not on the one for graduates. So it is very confusing on the Department of Justice website. And there is a residency calculator for citizenship that also doesn't include the stamp 1G. Again, making putting people under this impression that obviously this isn't reckonable so it's not just citizen information obviously it's, it's the department of justice also um the information that's been communicated by them is quite vague for some reason yeah look shamim thanks so much for again continuing to cover these topics uh we we have to you know we say it all the time but do support the dublin inquirer it's it's uh it, one of the great things though i saw recently and uh, is 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 your your crew giving back to a lot of people uh, you know doing um workshops for people who want to start set, set up independent media independent newspapers trying to keep that thing going it was it was lovely to see and uh Sam Lois and 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 Leisha, I think Leisha was everywhere around for uh, the the housing culture night talks as well this the last week or so. So yeah, it's really really great, and I think it's it's you know many years are they on the go now? I, I think there, there was a there was a. It was a, it was either way. Um, it's it's lovely to see that they can that you the work not just you do but the Dublin Enquirer do, and it goes from strength to strength. Um, so so thanks for that again, um, Martin. We need to move us on. Yeah, uh, we're gonna go, who we're gonna come to next. Sorry, Tony, I was listening to you talk. And I was getting to it. Well, to well, it. well, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm obviously I've just I've just brought um, uh, Sunday Times now reporter Eva Grace Moore on, uh, in as well. But I want to come to. I was, I'm wondering if herself and Harry were both at the Fianna Fáil Ardesh. Um, Harry, Harry as the spokesperson for spokespeople, and Eva uh, as a journalist. So, um, Eva, two events yesterday. You had uh, th- you had to go between the two. I'm sorry, it, I cannot take this seriously. Why Harry is wearing that hat? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Harry, I love you. You're my friend, but the hat. Um, this is bullying. This is bullying. They did this on the call as well. They all made fun of me. 
Um, yeah, so I had two events yesterday. I had the Fianna Fáil Ardesh, um Friday night and Saturday. And then Ireland's Future uh, from one day, I think, five. And then back to the Fianna Fáil Ardesh for the leader's speech. So it was full on. Usually as a Sunday journalist, like nothing really happens on a Saturday and then you get two at once. But uh, two very different vibes, put it that way. Um, what can, the- sorry, I just want to ask, I want to ask about the... Um- the Ardesh seem to like go down gangbusters. Mm-hmm. They they really seem to be delighted with themselves that that, that they. Well, it's the first one back, and I have to say, you know, as a journalist, no one does an Ardesh like Fianna Fall. <laughs> like they have the biggest membership in the country, um, as far as I'm aware, and you know they're a very old party. So I think that they say this was their 80th Ardesh. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I was kind of doing like a live kind of tour of it on my Instagram, and I was quite surprised that like. I've been to so many Ardeshes, but it, it kind of reminded me of the fact that most people don't go to Ardeshes. They don't actually know what they're like. Um, Ardeshes, every time I go to one, whether it's Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin, every time I go to an Ardesh, and no harm, de harry, but every time I go to an Ardesh, I am very much reminded of why I could never be in a political party. <laughs> <laughs> There's something very... And I don't mean this in a negative way, but there's something very like going to church or something about it. It's this notion that everyone who is there very much believes in this thing. And there's all different types of people there. Now, to be fair, Dikina Fall, um, it was an older crowd. Um, but that's not like I think we know that from just their voter base anyway, that it does tend to be older voters. Um, I did notice a lot more women there than I have previously. Um, and the biggest thing I noticed really was everyone was buzzing. Like they were all in such good form. It was good DC, because especially after COVID. But in Mihal Martin's speech, um, the Taoiseach, or sorry, the leader of the party does a, a speech at the end of um, the conference. And the biggest cheers, you know, that he got was the white taken on Sinn Féin. Um, the biggest cheers that Dara Bryan got during his speeches about housing were about taking on Sinn Féin. Um, and then we saw in the Sunday Independent poll today or last night that the government haven't gotten any points out of the budget whatsoever. Um, the people are seriously worried about housing. Housing continues to haunt this coalition. And I, 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 I'm just going to bring Graham in there for a second. Graham, you're shaking your head. What's going on? It's just, it's it's cult-like behaviour. It's It's like... Following each oh. Instagram yesterday, and and all the the members, councillors even having their photographs and water beakers and pens, and it's just it's like even but they're all age. but they're all the same. Like when you go to like Sinn Fein ones are a bit different in that Sinn Fein ones you can go and buy posters of like Bobby Sands election poster, and you can buy Jerry Adams books and all that sort of stuff. So like the Harry could talk better about the green one, but like. I don't think I ever went to that. Sorry. Um, I, I, I spoke to Johnny <laughs> Fallon and, and Johnny Fallon set up a good few comments. Johnny's a very knowledgeable guy on Fianna Fáil. And he'll tell you that all parties have that cult-like behavior mm-hmm. where it's not just a common meeting. Your entire social life res- res- revolves around those people. So mm-hmm. to leave a party is to leave a lifestyle. It's very much can, an outcast thing. Can we, can we get quickly then to to the, and I know Siobhan, you want to make a comment, but the, the, the Ireland's Future event then yesterday, um, 
stood in kind of in contrast to this it was it was it was no no there was no real contrast that was also like being at mass was it um (laughs) no i I did see them come out irish dancing to that eurovision song which was there at the start yeah i must start i was still there that was unusual now and there was a lot of unusual music choices throughout the day all the music choices were next level um (laughs) to be honest it was the same type of vibe and that everyone believed in the same thing um, I think Hello it was and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it did get a wee bit repetitive, um, which isn't like the fault of anyone there in terms of like everyone has a similar outlook. So everyone was saying, you know, there was a lot of talk about union and the unionist community and what we what people would have to do to um bring those people and the kind of in betweeners who you know to consider themselves northern irish or whatever else so um i thought like it was interesting but um pardon the pun it does get about echo chambery because Mm. all everyone there believes in this thing and it was um yeah there was another very cult like feel about it and to be honest there was two occasions where people who were speaking were booed Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was helpful at all, because if there is to be reunification, there is going to have to be very difficult conversations with people you don't agree with and booing people for their ideas is not the way to go. Eva, I agree with you. There was no, but I did think certain people, I, I don't know. I don't, because, uh, Harry, um, I don't know if, what's your experience of, of Senator Vincent Martin where when you were, when you were, when you were working with the Greens, but he didn't um, cover himself in great glory when he went. Just uh, for the listeners, um, Senator Vincent Martin was there representing the Green Party. And he said that, he said that maybe they should remove the term Republic of Ireland, just have Ireland and also keep Northern Ireland. Um, I'm not aware of Vincent's background, so I don't know how much knowledge he has of the North, but knowing the nationalist community as well as I do, that is a no-go. The notion of retaining the phrase Northern Ireland is not something that people are going to be willing to do in a united Ireland. He was booed for that, which I don't think is helpful. Then he went on to make a wider point and he quoted um, a man whose child had died in the Enniskillen bomb. The Enniskillen bomb was one of the most disgusting atrocities of the Troubles. And in the aftermath, this father who had just lost their child said that he held no ill will towards anyone. And Vincent's point was that we have to be generous to people whose opinions we don't agree with. I don't think he articulated very well. His At one point, it got very rambly. He was obviously a bit spooked when he got booed. Hmm. But I, the wider point he was making, I understood it. Whether I agreed with or not is a different thing. But yeah. I do think... Uh, the Greens missed an opportunity here, especially when considering the amount of the audience that would have came from the North don't really have that much of a knowledge or about the Green Party in the Republic. And I think there were maybe better people within the Green Party who could have represented the party on the stage. Yeah, I, I, I look, we've gone in a little bit more on that than I thought. But Harry, uh, if referenced the fact that the polls they didn't get the budget bounce. Um I you look you like you spent all morning crying your eyes out for them. Um <laughs> what, what what did what's your takeaway if you've had a, if you if you've had time to have a look? 
Well, main takeaway is I'm never wearing a hat on this podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's just been your stylist like me. Harry. <laughs> I have I have had a chance to take a to take a look at them. Um, one thing actually, before I get into that, I will say is that the Green Party sending somebody out into a major media event without proper preparation is just the most classic Green Party thing in the world. But unfortunately, I, I know Vincent. I've actually never had a bad experience. He's a very nice guy, but it does not surprise me at all that he was sent out without proper preparation of how sensitive things are related to that that is unfortunately just classic green party media goose but anyway on the on the polls yeah uh there is no no budget bounce as Eva said although as i said to you guys a few weeks ago we generally don't tend to see massive immediate changes in the aftermath of budgets related to this so the poll itself probably not that surprising i think it was a new high for Sinn Féin with that particular pollster but we've been seeing that fairly consistently over the last few months it was only a one point move so not a huge amount to take from that what i think was interesting was the sort of more uh, in-depth polling that was was done. I see somebody mentioned this in the chat as well, in particular using a breakdown of homeowners versus non-homeowners for party support. I think there were two things that are really interesting about that. Firstly, obviously the gap itself and the fact that this was used as a cleavage. Normally you have you know, the ABC1, C2DE uh, sort of uh, economic level split used, in dem- but demographically this is probably more insightful to how people are because it speaks more to material circumstances, whereas those categories are kind of a bit loose in terms of how they're defined and don't really look at that, whereas you can do something like this and you see this massive advantage for Sinn Féin and a huge change for other left, which is could be anybody from people for profit all the way to labor, I assume, from the way they've broken it down, going up a lot with that. Not particularly surprising. One thing I thought that hasn't been talked about a huge amount is that even among homeowners, while obviously Fall and Finnegale are doing substantially better and they're doing terribly among non-homeowners at like 9 and 6% each, Sinn Féin are still ahead in that category. And I think that itself is really, really telling that, yes, we have obviously a massive divide between, I suppose, haves and have-nots, if you want to use that phrase. Um, but what you have there is even people who are in what we would consider to be better, in air quotes, circumstances, are still moving towards Sinn Féin, albeit at a slower rate. It's similar to what we've seen with the ABC1 group where Sinn Féin for the last little while have also been ahead. And that shows that while the shift is happening at like different rates, depending on people who, again, are understandably in less, you know, less comfortable conditions uh, or more have more concerns and more financial pressures and so on, are more likely to move more towards Sinn Féin than towards the left, which is understandable. Even people who we would think from just from demographics without knowing their exact circumstances should be comfortable should have less to worry about, should be happier in it with the Conservative thing, are also moving towards Sinn Féin, albeit at a slower rate. And that is really, really important. We're not just seeing a divide of people who desperately want change because their lives are rubbish. We're seeing people who are in less difficult circumstances also looking for change, perhaps because their kids can't get a house, well, perhaps they themselves say, Harry, their mortgage and so on. And um, that I think is really important and isn't being talked about a lot. Can, so can I, can I, can I just, Graeme, if I could come to you even on this, I know you've spoken about the, the fact of like, you know, housing, accessible housing, all of these things. And when you see that demographic break it down like that, it's very clear that it's, it's the housed and unhoused is, is, is a big, is a big driver in this. Um, and again, I know you've personally spoken about your, your own situation as well. So how, what, do, what do you make of it? Um, I don't know. I think the trajectory is is grown and grown all the time for Sinn Féin, but whether they can deliver um on housing, particularly with people with disabilities, I don't know if I've got the confidence. Um, I don't know if I have the confidence in any political party to deliver in housing for people with disability. I mean, we've we've got we've got adults with disabilities from over forties on living in nursing homes because 
there's no housing. So there's nobody out there that is impressing me explicitly on housing for people with disabilities. I'd like to think um, owner Brian uh, will do it as because he's very impressive. Um, but I would still like to see more explicit language because at the moment it's like, you know, houses only have to be visitable by people with a disability and not habitable. I mean, it's 2022. What type of language is that like? Yeah, I have to agree with you completely on that, Graham. And, and I often think of, of parents with children who have, have, you know, with serious disabilities, they need a cradle-to-grave plan for their child. I mean, one of the biggest worries that parents have with children with disabilities is what happens to the children after they're gone. And they should know that from the day that child is born, that there is a plan in place, cradle to grave, to take care of those children as adults as well. This is all very grim. Um, I'm just going to come back to Harry on the the percentages. It was six and nine percent, respectively, for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael for those uh, in home ownership. That pretty much is the graph, boys, Harry. That's it, full stop. That's the graph boys living at home. There's nobody else within the the non-owning group that are voting for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, that has to be terribly worrying for them. Well, it is, and it's, I mean, presume, well, presumably it is. If they're not worried about it, they, they should be. Um, but also it's like, you know, this is a growing demographic. There's an increasing number of people in this country who can't get access to housing or can't get access to owning a house um, or, or, or to renting a house. And as, as, as Graham rightly says as well, you know, there are all kinds of people, all kinds of circumstances, and we talk about how many houses are we building. It's just all of the discourse about numbers. There's not a look at what are people's needs being met? Are things being done appropriately? Are there certain groups being excluded from that? And that is an awful lot of people um, for various different reasons, from various different backgrounds, various different circumstances. That number continues to grow. That's a concerning thing for Finnefall and Finnegal because that group of homeowners who support them more is going to be continue to decline relative to the people outside of it. And that's not maybe something that we'll, we'll see the effects of immediately in this cycle. That kind of thing, transition takes a long time. We've been at it for, you know, the last well, 15 years, it feels like um, at the moment, but that's, that pressure is growing and that pressure is going to continue to grow. Um, I do think that Graham's right. That a lot of people are looking at Sinn Féin as being a silver bullet on this kind of, on this, on, th- on housing. And that's why you see such heavy support for them among people who uh, aren't homeowners. But I do think he's right that we don't know if they're actually going to be able to deliver. They could end up disappointing people. They probably will end up disappointing people because it's a huge thing to fix. And where that swings after that, whether people come back towards conservatism or the people look for other alternatives on the left or even go in completely opposite direction, that's going to be very interesting. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to deliver on this kind of thing when they're if they're coming into power, which they probably will. A lot of that, as we can see now, is being driven by people who are looking for solutions to housing, um, be it because they can't afford it, be it because they can't find a place to rent, or be it because there isn't suitable accommodation for their needs. How that's going to go if Sinn Féin can't deliver on that, um, that's going to be really interesting over the next, well, probably you know five, 10 years when they're in power. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot to happen with that, and I think that, but I think that's a really interesting because it's a really insight into like what's driving this movement. We kind of already knew it, I think, a lot, but it's interesting to actually see like the proper number behind that and um, to move to move that forward. Can can I? Sorry, I want to move just on a little bit as well. If anybody has, has was watching um, Liz Trust this morning, the uh, the interviews continue. The, uh, the the car crash interviews continue. That was so bad. Like yeah. it was quite uncomfortable to watch the awkward silence when she said how many people voted for your plan and Liz Trust just sat there 
in total mm. silence. So there's no I content. Was, like, screaming at the TV, like, just say something. <laughs> like, say anything. Just fill the silence. <laughs> but but it was clear no one had like and and one of the most really unusual things was was the the story then that she's putting pressure on new king charles to not talk about climate change so she can so she can forward her agenda of fracking i mean where where have we going now like like i I, don't get me wrong me and charles aren't best mates or anything but like from knowing the reputation that he has and the kind of passion that he has for climate change i don't think the new king and we've seen how like spoiled and shitty he can be when he's in bad form i don't think the new king is going to take that handsomely to being told what to do by the new prime minister considering he's been campaigning on climate and environment for the last what 20 years oh, it was it was staggering he's got and... some neck <laughs> it, but, uh, but the whole thing is like the original the worst thing is obviously and it's I, I don't know if anybody picked up on it but 65 billion pounds is what the what the central bank of england had to print effectively yeah. to to mm-hmm. save pensions yeah Martin, our entire bank bail, it was 64 billion. I know, <laughs> you know yeah, like, I know. When, when and, you... and actually, Tony, isn't it strange that we're hearing talks of banks coming out again and saying, oh, we're structurally sound, we, we have the funny, oh, know, all these speeches well, coming uh, out again. The, the worst part was, and in the week that Bank of Ireland had to pay 100 million of a fine, which I believe was too low, um, we see Credit Suisse effectively going to the wall almost now. Yeah, and, yeah. and now... Uh, if you recall, in and this is not personalized, but Frances McDonough was the head of Bank of World, moved to Credit Suisse because they said her salary of, of just under a million because of the banker's cap wasn't competitive enough. See, this is why we hang on to you, Tony. You remember all this stuff. This is not <laughs> <laughs> check loves. I haven't a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Graham, I just want to come to you for a minute. You mentioned how difficult it was for people with a disability at the moment. You don't see much hope in any of the three parties is what you said. Well, what kind of change would you like to see? Ah, uh, um, just like political will. Like I've, I've been involved over the years in stakeholder meetings about decision-making and all the decisions are being made by able-bodied people. And you're kind of going, you know, even even Ireland's future yesterday, there wasn't one person representing one. the disability community. I mean, p- pissing in the wind constantly in this country with basic things with people with disabilities, transport and hospitality. You know, th- there's just no political will to change things. And even with a registered building, say, if you want to uh, modernise it, putting in a wheelchair toilet in, the council will block it because it's a registered building, you know. So there's just there's just no un, unless somebody uh, in Dal Aaron is a wheelchair user or I, I had hopes for Finney McGrath because he has a, a kid living with a disability that when he became the minister for disability that there would be kind of changes but it was quite lackluster. Did you did you see you know James Carley? Um, did you see his, his he said put a tweet up? He was I think he was went was out to, out to a gig. But what the, what was interesting about the tweet was that he got on a he got on a bus when he wanted to get on it, and that was a novel thing. Yeah, not yeah. having that was the thing. You know, it was literally yeah. I got a bus when I and I didn't have any hassle 
to get it because usually it's the other way around. You have to, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're sure only one wheelchair user at a time can go on a Dublin bus. They celebrate 100% accessibility, but God forbid you had a mate that was in a wheelchair and you were yeah. in a wheelchair that you wanted to go into town together. You can't do that. And is that not- the only reason you hang around with me is because I can get a bus with you? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also, it's also worth mentioning that, that those with a disability are about 13% of the population, but they make up 27% of the homeless population. And that's just people who are registered. There are an awful lot of people, adults with disabilities living at home, where actual independence or, or some form of independence is not on the cards because it's just not within any housing policy. No. Um, that must be very frustrating for people. I know it's frustrating for able-bodied people, as, as we've seen in the polls from Harry, to be stuck at home. You know, but for those with a disability, it must be even more frustrating because there is no way out. Can I no, just... So I want to go, uh, Shamim, if you don't mind, um, just on the, the the entire aspect that we've talked about housing again. And yet last week it struck me, and I didn't get to speak to you since then, that there was a huge turnout at the cost of living crisis by um, the Brazilian community, the Polish community, these, these people, it was actually really heartening to see. Mm-hmm. Um, were, did you get, receive any feedback uh, around it? Because I know you were running around snapping pictures. Uh, I, I, I managed to spot you. Harry, you didn't see, or, or Martin, you, miss, you missed Shamim, but I, 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 I saw you, pal. Don't worry about it. Hi, folks, and sorry to interrupt the podcast, but this is a necessary evil, unfortunately. We obviously are a totally independent podcast, no ads, no sponsors, and we rely on listeners to help keep the show on the road. That means that while you're listening to this for free, we believe it has a value. If you share that, please, 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 please go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise and throw us the price of a cup of coffee or, or, or a cheap point nowadays once a month and keep the show on the road. It's what keeps these podcasts going. We really do need the support. There's no simple way to say it. We do need to rattle the bucket. We need to ask you to put your hands in your pocket. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting people know. And please do click on the link. Have a look. See if there's something that you know you can you can feel comfortable at keeping this going. It makes all the difference. It's a couple of quid to you. It's mics on and a independent platform continuing to survive. And it's not easy out there at the moment. We know that it's really, really not easy here as well. Thanks for your support. Enjoy the podcast. I think, uh, and and it's and it's kind of sad to say. I think there was a group of students, Mexican students, and they were like, they were led by like an Irish person, and they were, you know what I mean. It wasn't like generic. Mm. Um. So, so I saw that, and it, and it's it's like you you kind of want to see migrants led by migrants, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this was awesome. Yeah. I'm just going to come to a sort of a, another returned migrant, Siobhan. You've been back in Ireland from Canada for quite a while now. Have you looked at the housing market? Have you been trying to rent or find no, a place? No, I was lucky in that way. I wouldn't have come back. Like, I couldn't have come back. Like, so, yeah. So that's one of the things, one of the reasons I could come back. Like, uh, my sister and I, I've been like my sister's been living in Chapel Lizard. So we 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 ended up buying a house together because she couldn't afford it at the high kind of the, so I'm back in a place that I own, like and I haven't been I've been paying for for years. So without that, I would be home. Like there's no way I would have come back at all. Like and it, how it's does, actually functionally does... impossible to find a place in this place. And someone you hear from other academics who come over here for a time, and someone just said it's like the hunger games, like you just don't even if you're not housed by a university. 
Um, you can't like functionally. Yeah, you can't come to Ireland. I ended up putting up some English academic for a month who I knew through a friend simply because he couldn't even find anywhere to rent that, you know, would be less than 200 a night. So. And, and how does that compare, we'll say, to on campus in Canada or for students in Canada? Do they have the same difficulties? Vancouver is bad, but it's not this bad, bad. People keep, like, I see this whenever I post and people are like, oh, well, Vancouver's terrible. You know, I'm like, I've lived in a really tight housing market for a long time. And it's not, like, it's bad, but it's not this, there's some protection for renters. Like, because I was renting in, in Canada because I couldn't afford, like, you know, you don't need, I'd be able to afford multiple houses unlike, unlike Robert Troy. So I was renting and it was expensive and it's hard to find places, but... It's not this brutal in the sense that you don't hear about the stories you hear about, like that some people were just like, and people just like, you know, like sharing a bed or your landlord, it not being illegal for people to want sexy photographs from you somehow or ask for sex. You know, how is that you think you have to pass a law about? Like, how is that something that, in fact, unless we actually forbid it, people are like, yeah, that's a grand thing to ask. Like, so, like, I feel like as bad as it is in Vancouver, you have more protection as a renter. It's harder to throw you out. You don't, you can't be tossed. There is actually, and it's not great protection, but it's functionally somewhere you can go to. You can't, like, be tossed out in the street. And the sort of mental stories that you hear here, excuse the language, but, like, excuse the ableist language there, but the stories you hear from people here are like beyond belief and I you know I also before I lived in Vancouver I lived in Los Angeles which is another terrible housing market and I was a graduate student there so I had no money at all and even there as brutal as that place is it wasn't nearly as bad like I've never seen a housing market like this market and you know it really there's just the price and the availability and then the sort of like way you're treated as a tenant as if you know it's People it's, talk about so, so Siobhan, I want to come in on it because it's Vancouver's an interesting thing because if 2017 I met the then House Special Rapporteur for Housing, Lani Farah, the UN Special Rapporteur, and she came over and she talked about Dublin, Vancouver, um, the the issues that were going on, and she 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 talked about you know going for protections for renters, and she wrote to the Irish government then after she first came in and addressed the Iraq, she wrote to the Irish government, she said, you're failing under your international obligations on, on, on the right to adequate housing. Irish government waited six months, wrote back a 16-page letter that said, um, no, we're not, uh, mind your own business, pretty much. Um, and since then, this week, we've seen homeless figures uh, that mm-hmm. have gone to... Uh, 3,300. I, th- I think well, and, the, the, the adult number how, is high. Now, now Aoife, this, Aoife, Aoife, Aoife and Shamim, this is not a dig at you, but how is it we're living in a world where Tommy Ball is the is the, uh, is the greatest uh, fellow for putting it to the, to the tarnish the, about those numbers? I mean, it well, was Well, it's almost crazy. as if certain politicians only go, want to go on TV programs where they think that they're going to have an easier run. Mm. And when they are put in front of a press pack, um, the time is cut down to such an impossible uh, length that you can't follow up any of your questions because you don't want to come in on top of your colleagues. You also deserve a question. And the ministers who and are in charge of these failing crises are very reticent to appear in front of any other media. 
Siobhan, I'm just going to come to you again. You had, and I'm going to change the subject, you had something you wished to talk about, teddy bears and... Oh, God. (laughs) Explain to us what's going on there. I'm learning this thing. I guess it's one of these things with, you know, the gender critical movement or whatever their latest, like, iteration of themselves are. And this, like, I mean, like, I guess it comes off the back of, like, a Fingal Cat library being attacked by them. They seem to have a real sort of... So I guess like I don't know, Hertfordshire Library, Hertfordshire Libraries had a new mascot of a teddy bear that was an alien that was designed, thought up by children, and then like I guess some graduates drew it up. And it was non-binary. So you referred to it as they, which I guess people found deeply offensive because and now it's revolved around like sort of like so people who like have issues with, I guess, like yeah, sort of gender, either sort of I mean, it's not even a trans gender. Teddy, teddy bear it's just a gen it doesn't have like a human gender like it is an alien teddy bear like let's let's focus on this and then there's like so you get like people seriously arguing I guess it's like a gateway into teaching children that like I don't know to defy their parents about gender ideology and then it's actually moved seriously into people arguing that aliens would have human gender like you know <laughs> that they would be along the same like thing and like I feel like that's really like an old trope of like sci-fi from the left hand of darkness on is that, you know, playing with the concepts that aliens don't have our gender models and it blows our minds. So like, so there's been like legitimately people weighing in, like whether or not like every vertebrate species, whether or not, I guess it comes from earth or not would automatically have a binary gender system. Um, Unless you're, I just feel like this is a, a fascinating waste of human energy like to seriously do it and when you're talking about like a teddy bear that's supposed to get children to read that is clearly just like I mean I don't know like who is gendering teddy bears for one thing well I was just going to ask Aoife that question Aoife do you gender your teddy bears uh listen you do actually have quite a collection don't you no um (laughs) (laughs) um listen none of this is about the gender of aliens or gender of teddy bears this is not based in any mature or good faith argument this is a very small section of the internet who have taken to making trans people and non-binary people's lives very difficult and i cannot for the life of me work out why um siobhan said there that this was like a waste of time it's, it's a waste of time dedicated to making a very vulnerable minority's life harder. I deleted Twitter off my phone um, about two weeks ago, and I still have it on the laptop for work, but I've deleted the app off my phone, and it has brought me so much joy and peace in my life. And it's like things like this where you speak to people day in, day out, normal people who live regular lives with regular problems, and this notion of this trans argument and then whether an alien has a vagina or not <laughs> is so ridiculous and so stupid and it would be funny if it wasn't so damaging to the people it actually affects. Um, I am like blown away by these mostly women who claim to be feminists who go out of their way to make other people's lives harder for no reason that I can fathom whatsoever. If me and you were out recently and we had this discussion and at the end of the, our conclusion was who gives a f- <laughs> you know, but that, 
That's it. Mind your beeswax. I like you know, we we have I have a young trans person um in my family and another elderly elder male relative made a really good point when we were talking about it and they said you don't have to understand it but you need to try to be understanding and that's, that's I think the best way to look at it. Can I talk to my teddy bear Harry? Um you uh, just just uh, <laughs> See, see, <laughs> Tony, that's loaded. That we're, is. We're, 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 <laughs> no, I just like. I mean, the idea though of of this, Harry. You, we've had these conversations about how this stuff just seems to get more and more. Um, uh, the the rabbit holes these people manage to go down, and you've been calling it out for a long time that that, that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then you see all these trends whereby. You know, um, I don't. Did you see the spectrum during the week where they put up where all the political parties were in the fin- in the Financial Times, and now the UK is the most right wing. Now I know they were talking economically, but a lot of this stuff goes hand in hand. And we, if it starts creeping in, um, you know, uh, what was the? I sent you a clip, uh, and it was pretty uh, basic. What was it? The phrase he said, "This goes to my Jewish friends. Remember, they hate us. Even 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 our friends, they hate us." But Harry, all of it, the, the anti-Semitism, all of that is coming back to the surface all week. Yeah, well, so firstly, I, I would say, you know, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I do try to call this stuff out. But there's obviously a lot of people, particularly from the trans community activists who, you know, I would rely on for information and stuff like that. So I wouldn't give myself too much credit um, on that point. But yeah, there's a real uh, and this goes back to, I think, when we, we sort of talk about, you know, why this is happening and why these people are essentially just going out of their way to make lives miserable for it is a lot of this stuff is coming from far right Lincolns. Like you have uh, the organization who were platformed by RTE and then you can literally go and open up their social media and it's not hard to find them openly conversing with neo-Nazis in America. Um, You look at the overlap of these ideas, where they're coming from and where these organizations are pulling from, despite their professed feminism, a lot of it has its roots in the far right movement. And it's as has been pointed out by both Siobhan and Aoife, it's an incredibly online movement. And that's picking up that online far right connections to it. So as to where it's coming from, there's obviously historically, you know, issues with certain forms of feminism having negative views of trans people because of the, how it affects views of biological essentialism and gender identity and how that clashes philosophically with earlier waves of feminist thought. But that has now been meshed into a broader far-right idea of various different dis- displacements and what the far-right would call online as um, degeneracy within society. And that's genuinely coming through in this now, that it's not a case of, oh, there's an issue because of what happens with gender. It's that these people are just inherently bad because they are trans. And that's what's driving this now. That, that conversation has become the same. And that's really scary because, as Tony says, it links in with not just with anti-Semitism, but with xenophobia, with all kinds of different forms of racism. And, and it also it's also incredibly like European-centric. Like This idea of like there being two genders is not a universal philosophical constant, but it's one that very much is within right-wing thinking of, ironically, for, for supposed radical feminists, very rigid gender roles, very rigid essentialism around that. That's right. That's right. And it's it's the tip of the spear too. It is the tip. We know that there's a lot coming from behind it. I do have to move us on. I'm going to move us on to Tony. Mm -hmm. And this is our last feature of today. Tony, you've been upset all week because Coolio died. Uh, This is is just putting it on me. I was just making the point that Coolio 
First of all, it always reminded me of, of Michael D. Higgins, whereby everybody has a picture with him. Everybody has, see, has met him somewhere. And he's, it's, there are stories of, you know, Coolio having a few points in Nace. Coolio, uh, I mean, did everybody see him with Marty Morrissey during the week, the, the video uh, where they had to get the the, the, the crew back to, to dance? Like, Graham, you're laughing. What The man has been, he was out in East Wall, uh, hanging with lads in the flats. He's only shy of like going to an under 21 um, junior B hurling or something, you know? If the price was right, he probably would have went. There was a great, <laughs> thread. There was a great thread there from a promoter in Waterford, um, chancing his arm would he play a venue in Waterford, and I think his rider was something very quite simplistic, and then like fifteen hundred euro cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Julio, like, Grammy Award winner, and he's being charged fifteen hundred to play at a venue in Waterford. Well, that's graft, though, isn't it? He's a, yeah, he was a grafter, you know? Uh, like, I, I'd imagine there was, I do recall an interview, and this is not, to, I know he's dead at 59, it's 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 a lot, but I do recall an interview where he was asked once about having lots of children. Uh, and he said, yeah, I've got a lot of bills. And he said, and I'm very, but I'm very, um, but I, I'm very fertile. He said, in fact, everybody in the front row now is already pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think I'm going to have to wrap it on that note. It's been a great on chat. On that note, what, 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 what a way what a to fun. go. <laughs> <laughs> what a fun man. <laughs> so I'd like to thank Harry. I'd like to thank Graham. I'd like to thank Shamim. And I'd like to thank Siobhan. And I'd also like to thank Eva for coming on, have a little bit of a, an input as well. I think it's a great achievement to get to 900 podcasts. And I think it's a great That's achievement. And Tony, and I must say this, Tony does the horsework. Tony always does the horsework. Sometimes I'm not capable of doing it. Other times Tony will tell you I'm just bone idle and lazy. <laughs> but, you know, he does a lot of the horsework. And I, I, I definitely want to say thanks to Tony. And 900 is a big achievement. And thanks for all coming along and listening today. Hang on. We'll have a bit of a conversation after we stop recording. And uh, enjoy your Sunday. Thanks very much. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.